0: Hi and welcome to episode 120 of Talking With Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger and as we're nearing the end of another strange year, I'm so pleased to be bringing you my conversation with a fabulous painter, Robert Malherb. Whether it's a moody vase of flowers, a reclining nude or the incredible valleys of the Blue Mountains, Robert uses fluid brush strokes in an prima method which make you feel like the painting was completed only moments ago. He's won the New South Wales Parliament Plenary Art Prize and the Manning Art Prize and he's been a finalist in the Archibald, Wynne, Sulman, Doug Moran and Kilgour Prizes as well as others. And he's represented across three Australian states and in New York and his work is held in many public and private collections. We met in his studio in Sydney. He also happens to have one in the Blue Mountains. And there was a whole series of recently painted works lining the walls, which were absolutely stunning. All the works we talk about in this conversation you can find on the website, talkingwithpainters.com. And I asked Robert to take me back to the beginning and tell me where he was born and what he remembers of art as a child.
1: Yeah, well, I was born in Mauritius. I came to Australia in 1971 when I was six years old. Um, I always drew, um, but painting for me was a a strange thing. I didn't, I didn't quite understand what it was. But I I did have this um, amazing moment. Um, See, my father uh, back in the fifties spent some time in London, and um, he always kept this. Brown leather suitcase in the house, and when we left Mauritius, he decided to pull this brown suitcase down from the shelf and he opened it up, and inside was basically everything that he had when he was traveling in london and so um, amongst the pile of stuffed books, letters, postcards, there were all these postcards from the British Museum and from the the National Gallery in London and from the queen's collection as well and so I, I remember going through these um, postcards and seeing uh, pictures of paintings. And there was a, a beautiful painting of, of, it was a portrait of a king, I think King, king Charles, I think it was. Uh, and um, Charles the I, I think he was beheaded. And I looked at this painting and, and I, I didn't know what it was. I knew it wasn't a photograph and I knew it wasn't a drawing. And so I said to my dad, what is this? He said, it's a painting. Um, it's an oil painting. And, and if anyone knows the painting, it's actually a portrait of the person, of Charles, uh, front onwards and then on the right and then on the left so it was almost like a mug shot you know ah, what i mean yeah, and um right it's, it's quite beautiful and it's so real and it gave me goosebumps yeah and i remember thinking to myself god if i could do this that would be something i don't even know what it is but god if i could do it that would be great how old were you, do you um remember? probably about five five or six yeah yeah and um and so then we came to Australia and like, you know, I just drew and uh, I, I still didn't see many paintings, you know, watch a lot of TV like everyone else. But I think there was a moment where I think the local school library, this is 1973, um, caught fire. And so a lot of the art books uh, were damaged. And so they were sold at the local um, school fair. Oh, yeah. And I remember my mum just, uh, without thinking, just bought a whole box of art books and brought them home and they'd been smoke damaged. Um, So she got them very, very cheaply. We didn't have much money growing up. Mm. Um, So there was this box of art books in my room and I I remember going right through them. And and, uh, I remember there was a book from the Washington National Gallery and there were these beautiful Rembrandt portraits there. And I remember my mum came in one day and she saw me crying and she said, "Why, why are you crying? And I said, this is, I wish I could do this. Yeah. You know, and she looked at it. And I think the very next week she told my father about it and he went out and got me some paintbrushes.
0: Is that right? Yeah. You know, for a lot of people who love painting, that mystery of seeing a painting and thinking, how on earth did that artist do that, is some is part of the drive? Yeah. Don't you think?
1: Yeah. Done by hand. There's a line in a, in a Wallace Stevens poem where he, um, he says, whose spirit is this? And that's the sort of feeling you get when you look at a painting. Like you don't even know who the painter is, but you go, "Whose spirit is this?" You, you've come to contact with something, and I, I, th- I mean, that's the beautiful thing about painting. I mean, it's not. I, I don't even believe. I don't even understand what realism means. You know what I mean? Um, when people say they're a realistic painter, I, I you know, painting for me is it's an invention, and so who's inventing it? Who's creating it? You know, and that personality that comes through in every single brush stroke in you know, in the choice of design and colour and line. That's done by a human being and they're long gone, but here they are. Yeah, that's right. Their presence is still here. And that's the beauty of painting. One of the beauties.
0: Yeah. And I I've gathered like from what I read, school was not a great place to um promote your Yeah, for you <laughs> No, from promoting your artistic um endeavours. Well
1: look the thing I learnt pretty quickly was that School's only as good as the teacher you have. Um, And you've got your friends and your mates that you like seeing. But, you know, um, I really believe, and this is kind of, I don't know what it is, but I think I've always been a little bit um, driven. I always knew what I wanted to do and um, a little bit arrogant that way. And so I found that school wasn't really helping me very much. And I had a horrible art teacher in high school. You know, I won't even mention the high school, but the, the art teacher I had basically threw me out of the classroom oh. <laughs> every lesson. <laughs> Why? Well, she, she, uh, she was quite weird, and but she, she wanted people to do certain things, and I went, well, that's fine. And, but to me, the lesson of art was a respite from mathematics and English and economy and all that sort of stuff. So I would sit there and start drawing, and she found that infuriating that I was in the art class drawing. One time she pulled a pencil <laughs> out of my hand and said, you're not supposed to do that here. And she said, get out. If you're not going to do what I tell you to do, get out. And so, you know, I spent most of my art lessons outside, you know, and everyone thought I was going to get expelled, you know.
0: Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? What
1: were you drawing? All sorts of things, you know, uh, whatever, straight out of the imagination, uh, just stuff that I would make up and – and. It was only much later that I started drawing things around me, that I had the confidence to draw things around me.
0: Mm. So tell me about what happened after school because uh, you decided that um, at age 16 you were going to leave school. So what what happened?
1: Well, I basically at 16 I had a whole bunch of drawings under my arm and I I had this ambition of going off to being a painter and even going to art school. But I was so stupid that I missed out on the major enrolments of that year, so I had to wait another year and before I could enrol again for art school. And uh, my father was so angry that I'd left school that he said, well, you better get a job. You know, you're yeah. not going to sit around and do nothing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing like having a teenager hang around the house doing no. nothing. <laughs>
1: oh, no, no, he wouldn't allow that. He was so angry. So he said, you, better, you have to get a job. I don't care what you do, you just have to get a job. In fact, he actually tried to get me a job at the Department of Main Roads as a clerical assistant, and I got the job, and I did it for one day and then left... <laughs> <laughs> Which, like you know, I think my father had it with me. He just thought, "Oh no, this guy's hopeless." But um, so but I had a bunch of drawings and and I took that into an animation studio and they gave me a job and and they trained me how to uh, to animate. That was with Jürgen Gross Film Studios, wonderful man.
0: And that's in Sydney.
1: It was, yeah.
0: yeah. And so you, that became your your first major career, didn't it?
1: Being an animator? Yeah, yeah. And I did that for many years. And and look, the money is fantastic. And look, they're paying me to draw, which is wonderful. And with that money, I travelled. And and I did the things that I always wanted to do was that uh, I was independent. Um, I could, um, you know, buy as many art books as I wanted to. I could, you know... um, go to london and i lived in london for three years which was yeah, fantastic and yeah, you know, i'd right. go see wonderful shows there and, and um uh, stand in front of amazing paintings you know manet you know rembrandt you know Degas, Um so
0: all the while you were you were thinking about painting all that time i, I never stopped you, you were actually
1: stopped. painting uh, yeah but i mean it was kind of like this secret thing you know um because like you know there were serious painters you know people who'd you know professional serious painters who had gone through art school and you know and and and, you know I'd read all the right books and I just felt like I wasn't one of those people but I wanted to just make art I just wanted to make beautiful paintings and look that that impulse has not changed I'm 56 now and I have exactly the same impulse that I've had for 40 years which is I want to paint some beautiful things before I die Nothing else.
0: Yeah. Well, you're definitely doing that. It's interesting, you know, because um, a couple of my guests have started off as animators as well. And it's interesting that, you know, it's like chalk and cheese. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up painting the same way because, I mean, Nick Stathopoulos is one and he's like… We work together. Oh, really? Yeah, he was at Hanna-Barbera. Hey, that's so interesting because he's like a hyper-realist. Yeah. And that's like, you know, so far from where where you're coming from. So, what do you think, um, you know, what do you think you took away from that? Because I did talk to Nick about that. But what do you think you took away from that job?
1: Animation? Yeah. Um, Discipline. You know, the fact that you had to draw so much um, to achieve anything. That was a big lesson and it's the same with painting i mean um, when i'm not painting i'm drawing all the time so then it just makes painting easier
0: well i I presume also with animation i mean you must have been just drawing face after face after face Mm. um so you must you know as far as the figure goes well not just the face but the figure as well as far as the figure that must do you find that that's just like an automatic thing for you that you don't have to think too much about how to construct a figure
1: um, you really don't want to think too much, anyway. I mean, once it past a certain stage, I mean, you, you are you do teach yourself proportions and um, you know size of the head compared to the body and so forth. I mean, you do teach yourself that um, certain basic anatomy lessons, but you teach yourself that to forget that. And and because what you really want to do, you know, you don't want to be correct. It's not about being right. It's about um, It's about seeing something and then being able to transform that your way, your personal way. I mean, there's a a wonderful line um, by an American poet. Somebody asked him what um, he thought the purpose of poetry was. And he said, uh, "To, to, to restore strangeness back to the familiar. And, and in many ways, this is what we're doing with painting. Like, our, we've all seen people's faces, we've all seen the back of people's heads, we've all seen hands, we've all seen noses. But to be able to paint those things in in another way, where you look at them almost fresh for the first time, mm. it's the same like Cezanne's apples. I mean, you know, he no one everyone people had painted apples before, but when Cezanne painted the apples, it seems as if no one had ever seen an apple before.
0: Well, that's that. You know, when I think about your um, works of the Blue Mountains, um, I sort of think that a little bit because I sort of think, well, I haven't seen people paint the Blue Mountains in that way before. Mm. I mean, you've had, like, um, this year in the um, Win Prize, you've, you have had a, a painting of um, Govet's Leap. Um, and if people don't know the Blue Mountains there, it's just west of Sydney, about an hour west of Sydney. And uh, it's just Govet's Leap, which is one of the most spectacular vistas in the world, I'd say. And I always stop there um, when I'm driving past the Blue Mountains because it's just so breathtaking. Um, it's a valley with, you know, sandstone cliffs and bush and it, the, the eye just can go further and further back down this valley. But you actually live there within walking distance, I understand.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not far at all from the house, you know. It takes about uh, maybe 18 minutes to walk from my home to uh but sleep.
0: And you've painted it before for the win. It's been got into the win prize before.
1: Yeah. I've I painted it as soon as I saw it. Yeah, I've just been painting it constantly. And and look, the way I work is that I paint all the time, and then I decide what work goes where. So I don't really paint. Spe- you know, if I was to specifically paint for the the win prize, I'd go mad. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Well, then you're so self conscious. It's like you know you you know it's like people who sort of paint to blow people away, you know, that sort of thing, you know. And it's, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is just paint a good picture, you know, and then see what happens with it, you know.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it's always – you're always painting from life and within one sitting. Is that right?
1: All in one go, yeah, yeah.
0: Why do you think that's important for your work?
1: To paint it all in one go um, creates one skin of paint, which for me is very important because technically it's not going to fall apart. Uh, it'll age a lot better. Um, painting it all, all in one go also—it's—it's um, it's like one statement, uh, and you—it's a—it's a delicate and very complicated balancing act because a picture isn't just—it's um, not really just a picture, but it's also uh, there's push and pull and there's like you know forward and back and there's all these things going on in a painting, and to do all that in one go is 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 pretty exciting. I like the excitement of it.
0: Yeah. So in order to achieve that, though, so when you, when, say you are going to decide to do Gavett's Leap and you've sort of walked there, because I, I understand you don't drive. I don't drive, no. Right. So you would walk, so you, you would walk there? Yeah,
1: I'd take a trolley with a canvas and, and a backpack and, and go there. And, and sometimes I'd get driven there by my wife. You know, yeah, right. Which is nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be interesting to walking down the street with a trolley for 20 minutes. I'm
1: quite well-known, actually, in Blackheath for the uh, being the trolley man.
0: <laughs> well, the other thing about Govet's Leap is that it's like a huge tourist spot. Yeah. So you must be setting up and having people, you know, coming past you all the time. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny.
0: Or do you, do you have headphones on so that they they get Sometimes the Sometimes I do. But, yeah. you
1: know, I, I find that headphones do um, stop me from... Uh, because I seem to move my head a lot when I'm painting. And then if I'm aware that I, I... I don't like being too aware of myself when I'm painting. And these little things can make you bring you back to yourself. I mean, I I, just, I really like getting lost in the painting. And the more you get lost into what you're doing, the better the work is. Because mm, mm. you surprise yourself. I mean, that's the whole point, is to surprise yourself, you know. Because if I knew what I was going to paint before I paint painted it, then it wouldn't be interesting. I mean... It's like if I say, now I'm going to paint a figure or now I'm going to paint a still life or I'm going to paint a landscape. That's just subject matter. What happens after that is content. And in each time, you have a different content. There's different things going on in each painting. I could paint Slip Sleep um, 20 times and there'd be 20 different types of paintings.
0: Mm. Do you think it's exciting? I mean, I find that interesting when a, an artist revisits a subject um, and, I mean, Mirandi's one of the most famous ones that have done, has done that. But is there an excitement about revisiting it?
1: Yeah, because um, the more familiar you are with something, the more you can take liberties, the more you can go, oh, I know what that looks like, but what if I did this to it?
0: Yeah, that's that's a really interesting approach. And I presume that's the same with the portrait, because I've heard you've, you've painted your wife, Dana, over 100 times.
1: Oh, yeah, many, many times, yeah, yeah. And um, each time it's different. Each time I'm different. Each time she's different. And uh, each time the flavors different. You know, it's uh, you're going for a different thing. You know, a different mood.
0: Does she mind?
1: She hates it.
0: <laughs> Do you get her to sit down and stay? Like, can she watch TV or something like oh,
1: that? Oh, no, she often wants to sleep, and I just go, no, please don't. You know, <laughs> can I have your eyes open for this one? You know but no no look we, it sounds like we don't get on, but we do. we've been together for thirty years we're, we're very, very close um but you know I think for her, its just there's a point where she realizes that she's modeling and she's sitting still and she hates it, you know, yeah, yeah, she likes to do things
0: yeah, well, how long would it take usually like to do to do a la prima I suppose it varies, I mean that's a stupid question, but
1: yeah, no, no, I mean not longer than three hours, mm.
0: Yeah, well, I've seen a YouTube video of you painting and uh, it's it's great because you really get a sense of how these beautiful works are created. And it's interesting to hear you say that it's important to get lost in the painting because it looks as though uh, it is a very continuous sort of rapid sort of process. Do you think speed is important?
1: Yeah, and I think um, it's essential. I think... Um When I was very young, one of my first heroes was an English painter called Walter Sickert. And he said uh, one should paint fast and well. And that always stuck. And I think it's very true. I think, you know, the, the faster you paint, the less you think. You're more likely to surprise yourself. You're more likely to make marks that surprise you. Uh, you've got no time to think about color, so you just put down the things that are instinctive. And, and then you find that these instincts are your instincts and, and no one else's, and so that's important. And then at, at the end of the day, you've got this image that you've made that you go, well, I made this. No one else could have made this. Yeah. So this that tells you something about yourself. So you're learning
0: Totally, that's right. And it's interesting what you say about colour because I think you can overthink colour. You know, you sort of think, oh, is this going to – if you start analysing it too much and you think, is it, you know, do I need a complementary here or whatever, you know, or is that tonally right? Mm. And if you're doing that too much, then you can really get bogged down.
1: Maria, you can overthink everything, not just colour, everything. You know, I mean, I feel like I'm just having a talk to you, but I don't – at at all think of myself as an artist really no i don't think of myself as an artist i think being called an artist uh, is is nice but i don't i just see myself as someone who paints pictures
0: what do you think the word artist suggests i think
1: it's a gift word you know i think it's something that someone else calls you as a compliment you know but i would never turn up at a party and say i'm robert i'm an artist that you know no
0: one particular painting I really loved in your recent show with Jan Murphy, um, which was um, feel is called Feeling is Everything. I mean, the show is called Feeling is Everything. And I actually posted it on my Instagram Was um, when I was telling everybody I was going to be interviewing you. And it's called Figure 34. And it's the most beautiful reclining nude um uh, which She's reclining, and she, but she's on her side and we're just seeing her from the back. So we can see her back. And then below the platform that she was sitting, the beautiful lines and beautiful colours, which I presume, you know, weren't really there. I mean, you must... Do you, do you look at a painting at that point and sort of think, you know, what does this painting need now? Is that your... Because a lot of paint, painters talk about that, responding to what the paint, painting needs. Would you get to that point... In a painting, or do you feel like you're, you're really tied to what is happening in the studio?:
1: um, What's happening in the studio is really just a jumping off point. Um, the minute you make that mark um, on the canvas, anything else that you put down relates to that mark, and you know, so, so then you're only looking at you know the the, the motive, you know the, the landscape or the nude, as a kind of a guide, a, uh, like a tour guide to lead you through what you've already begun mm. on the canvas. So I mean, you know, that's why there's distortions in my work and um and things pushed around and and um you know. The thing I'm aware that I do is that I'll put in a a few directional lines because I'm interested in movement. And I think the whole painting the whole structure of a painting sits on the movement that that you first see and you're excited by. Right. So let's say I'm looking at you now and I can see this, this rhythm and I would probably begin with that rhythm of the line and then I would build the rest of you from that line. But I wouldn't sit there and draw you with your, your nose, your eyes, your, you know, your shoulders and then start putting in colour. I, I, I would never ever do that.
0: Oh, so that. So that sort of gestural direction is really important to start off with.
1: Uh, It sort of gives you a guide as to what you know where the head's going to be and where the shoulders are going to be and so forth.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really liked your self-portrait that was in the Archibald. Oh, Uh, thank you. Now that was from a mirror, wasn't it? Yeah. Did you find that challenging? Is that quite difficult?
1: It's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Well, you're looking at yourself, and, and then you're aware of yourself. You're trying to. You're looking at yourself, and then trying not to be aware that you're looking at yourself. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. And then you see things and you go, who's this guy and why am I painting him?
0: <laughs> it is weird looking in a mirror oh, yeah. for a long period of oh, time, yeah. Oh, isn't no, it's it? very strange. Well, theres I mean, with that one, there is an element of exaggeration in that. And uh, no, I think you've sort of said that, you know, you do use distortion and exaggeration in your work.
1: It all is. It all is, though, really. Every, every you know, it's, what you're trying to do is convince, though, within those distortions. Mm. You know, like um, there's a beautiful painting by Cezanne of a of a boy with a red vest and, he, and he's leaning on one hand and then his arm is sort of resting. And the whole balance of the picture is perfect. It's absolutely wonderful. But yet the arm is the longest unnatural arm you've ever seen in your life. I mean, if you were to point that out, a lot of people would say, oh, that's just wrong. And I think he copped a lot of flack for it. But for me, it's beautiful because it reminds you, first of all, that it's a painting second of all that it works beautifully and three who cares you know it's not you know it's it's not like the most accurate wins you know that's not what it's about for me the most important thing about painting a picture is that is the painting going to be alive or is it just going to be a picture a lot of pictures around and this doesn't have to even be about figurative works it could be abstract or anything um is the picture alive you know, you stand in front of a Rothko and that's alive.
0: Mm. That's a
1: living thing. How does he make those colours vibrate? How can how can you look at a Rothko and, and, and think of Rothko, even though you're looking at bands of colour, you know? And there are people who, who try to do the Rothko thing, but, you know, they don't have that essence. Mm. They certainly it's don't very have his, difficult to do that. They don't have his um, sensibility mm. and his language. I mean, he invented that language, you know, and... Uh, And he invented it because it it was perfect for him. It suited him. Um, So the point I'm making is that, you know, whatever it is that you do, it has to be alive. And there are a lot of pictures, and there are a lot of good pictures. You know, you look at them and think, oh, that's a nice picture. But for me, the best paintings are the ones where they're just so alive that they seem like miracles. Mm.
0: What about with commissions? Do you get commissions Sometimes I do, yeah. How do Uh, you feel about that?
1: If you can make the commission work for you, rather than working for the commission, then that's a good thing.
0: In what way? What do you mean?
1: Well, if you can be totally selfish and say, look, take it all over.
0: Mm. And you don't have to flatter the person. you, don't, you it, Would it not work if you felt like you had to flatter them?
1: Look, I, I once did a commission, a portrait of, uh, of someone, and um, um, the person looked at it. Uh, this, he was the son of the, the sitter, and he loved it. And I thought I'd taken liberties, but he loved it. And, but he just made one comment. Uh, about a certain redness on the face and I toned that down and he was very happy and I was very happy to, to make the change. I mean, because you want people to be... You don't want people to be, you know, unhappy with your work.
0: Well, you know? totally. Yeah. I agree. And especially if they've asked you to do it. That's right.
1: Yeah, there's a certain amount of professionalism that comes into the fore when you accept a commission and um you have to be prepared to, to deal with uh, the client's wishes. Uh But... Other than that, really, you should just do what you want to do. Mm.
0: I love the portrait you did of Michael Reid. I thought that was really good, actually.
1: We did that right here in, in an hour and a half.
0: Oh, did you? Mm. He must have liked that.
1: Oh, he liked the portrait. Yeah, no, he thought yeah. it was interesting. Well, it yeah. got in the
0: Archibald. Yeah. So that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. So how has the Archibald and win and you Sul- I mean, you've been in, uh, hung in the Archibald, win and Sulman. Yeah. Um, how's that whole experience been?
1: Great, because, I mean, you know, it expands your audience, you know what I mean, because, look. You just paint and paint away and then a few people like your work, thank God, and they support you and they buy the paintings and that's fantastic. And then you can keep going. You can keep buying good quality paints and, and beautiful Belgian linen to work on and you know you can get nice frames on your work. And now and then you might splash out and get some cadmium red and <laughs> and go out and sit in nice restaurants and drink nice wine and, and all that's lovely. And if you can keep that going, yeah, that's fantastic. And still paint what you want to paint. That's a, that's a great way to live. Yeah,
0: it's fabulous. So it's good to get the expose, for the exposure as well. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's
1: important. Yeah. Definitely. It's the, big, it's the biggest show in town.
0: That's right. That's right. Tell me, talking about the Art Gallery of New South Wales, I read somewhere that you used to go there when you were a child or yeah. when you were younger, a teenager yeah. or whatever, yeah. and used to go and look at – because I don't think we've covered this point in that you basically had no formal education in art – you actually learnt by looking at art.
1: That's right. I, I learned by looking at paintings and drawing off paintings.
0: And so, what works would you have been looking at at the well, art gallery in New there's South lots Wales?
1: Beautiful paint, uh, paintings in the art gallery. And there's, you know, the the beautiful Bernard self portrait. Mm. Um. There's the uh, the great Auerbach painting downstairs. There's uh, the you know, there's the there's also, there's so many good things. You know, so many beautiful pictures there that you could just walk around and and um and draw yeah oh and so you would draw well. in front oh of yeah i would yeah. actually yeah, come along with a sketchbook and draw and, and back in the old days the the guards that used to work there all the time you remember them with the the gray suits you know and uh yeah they all knew me
0: oh that's nice i must say there's something about that place that is very sort of nurturing
1: oh yeah the art gallery oh no 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 it's a, it's it's womb like for me <laughs> It's, it's like I go there and I feel straight away, I just feel um, very comfortable.
0: Just jumping back to talking about that portrait that I was, that, that painting that I was talking about, the figure 34, what, what I found interesting about that show was that there were several paintings where you painted the models back. Um, what, what, what appeals to you about that aspect?
1: Okay, um, yeah, the thing about the back, and, and I also paint a lot of the uh, images of women's nape, the back mm. of the neck. It comes from two influences. One is Degas, and the other one is um, Japanese block prints. And uh, the, I, when I was a boy, I used to find Jap- the, the, uh, the prints of the Japanese women, the back of their necks with their hair tied up in buns. I found that the most erotic thing ever. You know, I thought that was really beautiful. Uh, charged images for me. And so I, um, I always thought that, you know, you could see, tell a lot from a person from their back. It's the body language, it's everything. From the way they stand, the way they walk. And I think Degas did that in one of the... I think there's a beautiful etching that he did of... Um, I think it's Marie Cassa at uh, the back of her and she's in the museum looking at paintings and she's got a hand on her hip and she's wearing black and she's got her head tilted somewhat and he, it's a, it's a charged image i mean and and when you see people's backs you can tell a lot from them and it's it's kind of mysterious and uh, but it's also very re- revealing and so uh, i tend to paint backs a lot i love backs i think backs are beautiful
0: i want to move on to the still life work because i mean a lot of your still life work have flowers in them, but I read, you know, in you know you you're in the in Amber Crystal Bell's book, uh, Still Life, and you mentioned in that book that there's a potential in the, in that sort of a painting for creating tension in a work. Can you tell me what a bit more about that?
1: Well, look, the, the thing with still lives and particularly paintings of flowers is that. The two main preoccupations or the, the, the two serious things for any artist is um, um, sensuality or eroticism and death. I mean, because these are the two things that are the mainstays in our life. Mm. Um, we're here because of sex and, and one day we, we're not going to be here anymore. And so when you're painting flowers, the beautiful thing about flowers is that they're very beautiful. Yeah. But they're not going to be around for long. They start to fall apart very quickly right in front of you. The petals will fall off. There'll be petals on the table. Um, You know, you have to change the water, clip the... So you're aware of this process that it's, you know, four or five days later, it's in the garbage. You know, it's gone, you know. Um, So it's a beautiful metaphor. And then also flowers are also very sensual. That's why we give flowers as gifts to someone you love, you know. The last, the very last paintings done by Manet were a whole series of flowers. Uh, He was on his deathbed, literally on his deathbed, dying, and friends would drop over bunches of flowers and he would set them up on the table next to his bed and he would paint these flowers. And I think he painted about 16, maybe 18, uh, correct me if I'm wrong later on, um, still lives. And they're the most beautiful paintings because it's all there, isn't it? Like, you know, the idea that this guy's going to be leaving the room very soon and this is his last statement. These beautiful, and the thing is, you can do, you can take a beautiful subject, but then imbue it with a content that could be a lot sadder, and that's what gives it then more, makes it more, a more potent image, makes it um, it make, lives longer because we need that balance. We need that. We need both the beauty and the sadness for something to really be moving.
0: Oh, that's definitely right. And I think each person sort of reacts to it in a different way, you know. Yeah. Well, and also with that story that you just gave, I mean, it's from the perspective of the artists themselves. I mean, I always think, oh, people who can paint and, you know, who are artists, they're so lucky because you can just keep doing that to the end, hopefully, hopefully, you know. And it's something that you can all, you can do, you know, on the deathbed, as you say.
1: Well, for me, painting and being alive is the same thing. Mm.
0: Now, also another thing that I find really interesting is collaborations. Right. And I saw that in the Sawman. You um, were hung with Phil James yeah. with this crazy uh, collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and you know Phil James is well known for doing these uh, sort of like cartoon characters that are sort of like a bit crazy and a bit sort of weird. Um, so That's his personality? Is it? Yeah, he's, oh. not, he's not
1: trying to be crazy.
0: Oh right. Well, so what's his personality like?
1: Exactly like the paintings.
0: <laughs> so how is it when you so you you presented him with a figure of a woman? Yeah. Was she actually – so basically what this, this – the end result was the figure of a woman sort of playing a wind instrument, like a clarinet type thing or an oboe. 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 Yeah. Um, and – but, you know, there's these like cartoon characters over the top and it's sort of – it just adds this like craziness to it and it's a little bit surprising.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's taken the culture that he's grown up with, the sort of cartoony culture and Warner Brothers and so forth, those, those wonderful characters, Simpsons and all that stuff – Um, and he's basically transformed them. Mm. Um, I saw his work, I liked it, and, um, and I thought, if jazz players can play together, why can't painters? So, I thought Phil would be perfect, because the style that he, well, what he plays with, the imagery that he plays with, is very different from what I play with, but, um, You know, it really works. We've done two collaborations.
0: Yeah, I saw the other one. It was in the Vincent. It got into the Vincent Prize, which is a great prize. (laughs) Art Van Gogh couriers have set up this Vincent Prize, which is brilliant. Go Sean. (laughs) Yeah, Sean's brilliant. Um, What about um, the whole gallery system? Because, you know, you're represented by four galleries, Mm. you know, Brisbane, uh, Sydney, Melbourne and New York. Right. How have you found that, navigating that whole world?
1: Well, you've got to have had a. You do have to have a, a sense of being a professional. You have to treat people with respect. Uh, you've got to. I mean, every day I, I'm, I'm grateful for all my dealers. They're all. They've made me what I am. They've really helped me with my career, and that's the professional side of it. Because so far we've been talking about the aesthetic side of it, how how things are made, but then these things are made in the real world, and our dealers will help you in the real world. They'll advise and they'll steer and they'll navigate and, um, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll help you build a career.
0: Yes, yes. And there's so many facets to it as well. There's, you know, the the whole sort of money side of it and everything. That's Well, that's, that's, that's
1: the professional side. And, you know, uh, look, if you're really serious about being a painter, you do want to entrust everything into the hands of a good dealer so you can just carry on with the painting and not worry about that. Um, the whole idea that you could be your own art dealer and paint pictures, I mean, you know, one of the two has to suffer, either the art or the business, you know.
0: Yeah, that's right. And you've got a show, you know, you just had a show with um, Jan Murphy The in wonderful Brisbane. Jan Murphy. Yeah. And you've got a show coming up in New York. Yeah. Uh, soon.
1: It's a very small show. I'm just sending over some works. Um a uh, few, few paintings and see how they go. I mean, they've all come out of lockdown right now in New York and uh, things seem to be buzzing along. So we'll just see what happens, yeah. The very first show I had in New York in 1917, 1917, did I say? <laughs> 2017. In the war. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> 2017. Um, did really well. Yeah, sold quite well. So that was good, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at
1: all. Well, actually, I was terrified because it's sending calls to Newcastle. There's so many painters in New York.
0: Is that right oh i don 't know i don 't know much about the New York square inch
1: there 'd be you know, so many painters
0: yeah, but your your work i 'm sure is quite refreshing because, as I was saying to you earlier i don 't see this type of work very often, and i look
1: a lot I look at a lot of work online i 'm well, scrolling thanks. all day thanks. yeah thanks me too i mean that's that 's the other thing you know you can 't be in a bubble, you actually have to see what 's going on, what other people are doing because Um, if only just to avoid doing what other people are doing.
0: That's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never thought of that. Yeah.
1: In many ways you're damned if they're good and and damned if they're bad because if they're good and they've done something and you go, oh, I can't do that. (laughs) And if they're bad, you sort of go, well, you know, I've got a bit of that in my (laughs) way. I've got to to somehow get rid of that.
0: It's funny, isn't it? Because I think to what extent do you have self-doubt?
1: Oh, constantly. Really? Yeah, that's why dealers are there to, to help you. You would just crumble. I, 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 personally, I would crumble. I would just think, oh, no one wants to, to buy this. This is why would I even show this? Really? Yeah. Even though you know that
0: you know they sell well and all that sort of thing, you still Always have a that surprise.
1: Always a surprise. Yeah.
0: So each show, do do you have um some level of sort of anxiety about it or not? It wouldn't be that, we wouldn't go that far. No,
1: no, no. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm anxious. You really have to be strong enough not to care. Mm. That's the first lesson in being a painter. Not only not to care what people think, but not to care whether or not you sell. Yeah. That's the very first. You've got to get past that. And when you stop thinking about those things, because um, they're crippling.
0: Yeah. Well, it's human nature though, isn't it? To sort of, you know, you submit but all those paintings, but it's also
1: human nature to be resilient and just say it doesn't matter. You know, if I produce something beautiful before I go, then that's what really matters, and, and that's what that's all I'm trying to do.
0: So, with your sorts of with your work, obviously, if you're going to send paintings off to New York or even Brisbane or whatever, they've got to be pretty dry don't they at
1: least over a month
0: oh okay so your your schedules your deadlines are like well before the exhibition
1: yeah there's a, there's a professional side of me that thinks in in those terms where I have a kind of a plan but my real master plan is that I just paint all the time and then I choose the paintings I like to go in shows yep
0: and do the gallerists come and have a look at come to your studio
1: sometimes but now I think they've because I've been doing it for so long they kind of know what they're gonna get. They kind of know that I'm reliable and I'm not going to send them rubbish, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you just send through a a JPEG and they can look at it. And one of the things I tend to do with my dealers is that I send through, um, let's say I'm going to have a show of, let's say, 19 paintings. I might send through uh, a PDF file of maybe 30 paintings and they can choose the ones that they…
0: Yeah, right.
1: So then I don't feel like I'm uh, painting deliberately for a show… The dealers then can choose the ones that they feel like, oh, these sit together quite nicely and, you know, this will be a good show. We won't have trouble selling these and that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And would you go to the openings usually? So Brisbane and Melbourne, would you usually go?
1: Prior to Corona, yeah, absolutely.
0: That's an exciting time when you go to your opening.
1: It is. It is. It's, it's nice to see them on the wall. It's nice to see them all together. It's nice to see them in beautiful light. And, uh, and um, all of a sudden they become someone else's work.
0: Yeah, isn't that interesting? You must see them in a different way.
1: I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. Because now I'm looking at these beautiful works, like you've got one on the easel there, which I just love. And, you know, that is going to look totally different in a gallery space. Absolutely. You know, you know different yeah. light and...
1: Ideally, you want the feeling that it feels like someone else has painted them.
0: Why do you want that feeling, though?
1: You want to be removed from your own work. You don't want to, you know... Or else you'd just be turning up with... a. Um, you know set of paints and just constantly retouching
0: yeah that's right well it's like Ian Fairweather denied that he even painted the things that would be in the gallery is that right? like, yeah 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 some them, I think there was like a retrospective
1: that's or something. pretty great
0: but the back in those days it was a it was a little bit different because you didn't always see reproductions of things all the time and be bombarded with things so you you probably let go of your painting from your hut you know on Bribie Island mm. a year ago or something and then the next minute you think what what is that I've never sort of seen it before you know. What's your approach to prizes?
1: Um, uh, Yeah, look, I think it's pretty much the same as um, my approach to um, exhibiting my work is that uh, I tend to paint all the time and and then if a certain prize comes up, let's say it's a landscape prize and I already have a landscape painting, then I'll put it into the prize. But I will not – I'll try not or desperately try not to paint specifically for a prize Mm. because down that path madness lies.
0: (laughs) You invest too much emotion in it.
1: Well, then you get annoyed. You think, you know, I'm entitled to be in this show. What's going on? I should have won this prize. Then you go crazy. Yeah, (laughs)
0: that's right.
1: I've I've won a couple of art prizes and it's nice and the money's good. Yeah. But, you know, other than that, I don't think it validates what I do that much.
0: Yeah, I do. Well, yeah, I mean, I do agree with you that it is so arbitrary, you know, um, because you could have chosen 10 out of – you know, say the Archibald, for example. Most people think the one that one shouldn't have won, and another one was better or whatever. But it, it's also so subjective. You know, it's sort of crazy.
1: Yeah, art prizes. I uh, I highly recommend anyone starting out to just put their works into as many art prizes as possible, because it's a way of sensing. And getting a feel of the 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 field, as it were, to to see what's out there and what what the reaction to your work is, and um, and if you do get hung in an art prize, um, God forbid that you should win one, but you know if you get hung in an art prize, um, so many people will see your work.
0: Yeah, that's right, and that in itself is almost enough, I think. Well,
1: my life changed when I was first hung in the Archibald.
0: In what way? Well, it
1: just increased my audience. You know, a lot more people knew that I existed. You know, all of a sudden I was in the newspaper. You know, (laughs) yeah, that changes everything. When when the media starts getting excited, you know, then everyone gets excited. You know, so art prizes are very good that way. Yeah, that's right. But it shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't really change what you do. You know, you shouldn't really think that all of a sudden you are a better artist. I, I don't think I became a better artist. I just became better known
0: yeah oh now also i want to ask i'm always interested to know to what extent an artist is tidy and cleans their brushes and
1: you know all that sort of thing like is that important for you
0: yeah do you clean your brushes every day that sort of thing
1: um i try to so then i have them ready for the next time when i'm really excited and and want to do something it's just practical i'm not fastidious i'm not as you can see i'm I'm not dirty, but I'm not tidy, not by any means. Mm, it's a pretty tidy studio, I've got to say, though. No,
0: not really. Oh, there's a vacuum cleaner there. That's a good sign. <laughs> it's a prop vacuum cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't have to be, yeah, so it doesn't have to be like pristine before you start or anything like that. Anything
1: that hampers the work you should get rid of. So if you, if you can't function in an untidy studio, then have a tidy studio. It's all about being able to function. And so I clean my brushes not because I love cleaning my brushes. I hate cleaning my brushes. People have have commented how clean my brushes are because I think when they're super clean and they feel like they're brand new, you get a better mark, a cleaner, crisp mark. And if you've got dirty brushes, they're not going to do that. They're going to do something else. Mm.
0: Do you use palette knives?
1: Sometimes. I use it the side of my finger a lot.
0: Oh, yeah, I saw that on the video, actually. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> no, that was good. I got a lot of good tips from that video. Um, my wife shot that. Oh, did she? It was she great. Yeah. It was really good watching that, yeah. actually. And yeah. you know the other thing that I noticed about that video? It's quite dark when you've left. Like, it was sunset when you finished yeah. that day yeah. on the beach.
1: Yeah, because I try to get just that end end of day light because, there's a, a, there's a desperation because, you know, you know, it's going to go down. So the, the metaphors there already, and um, there's a lot of desperation in painting. A lot of good things come from that, I have to say. And so you've got that light, and it's changing, and you're ch- and you're you're chasing it. And um, and then when it's so dark, you've got that point where you go, "Now I have to stop."
0: Yeah, yeah, and you can't keep.
1: No, you just stop. You're just going, it, yeah. and you know you're going to have to stop. So you just work really hard and try and get everything working. And by working, I I, I don't mean um making something look realistic. As I said before, it's like you're looking at a painting, a construct, you know, uh, and we're trying to get everything to work. The color, the balances, the movement, the verticals, the horizontals, diagonals, you know, forward and back color, all that sort of stuff. And, and, and you don't consciously think of those things, but they're the things that, you know, when you're looking at what you're doing, you know, oh, the, this is missing. It needs more of this. It needs more of that. And every time, and Matisse was absolutely right, every time you touch your canvas, you've changed it. You've changed the overall harmony, the overall balance. And so you constantly have to readjust. You you move one bit, you you have to move another piece. You have to, you know, it's constantly this thing. And so you're desperately trying to get this to work before it gets dark.
0: And how do you know when to stop if it's not getting dark?
1: Um, When it stops annoying you. When the painting stops annoying you. Not that you feel like it's a great picture, but you, uh, there's nothing there that really jumps out and, and bugs you. And, uh, yeah, cause like uh, there's a painting behind you right now that's about two months old. And, um,
0: it's a figure. It's a reclining yeah. nude. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's finished because there's nothing there that bugs me. It doesn't mean it's a great painting, but it's just there's nothing there that my eyes scanning over it right now over the whole. Mm, it's beautiful canvas, and I don't. I don't. There's nothing there that jumps out that I, I feel like I should rectify.
0: So with this, with your show coming up in New York. Would you ordinarily have gone over?
1: For I would have loved to. I loved New York. I've been to New York six times, you know, and uh, I would love to go there. And um, the person I show with um, Tyler Hayes at uh, BDDW in New York, um, incredible. He's an incredible man. He's, he's, I, I, you know, he's that brilliant, brilliant person who can um, create this vibe, you know, and, um, yeah, he's very creative. Yeah.
0: Have you been to – what's your favourite sort of museum there? The Met. (laughs) Have you scratched the
1: surface? (laughs) I could live in that building.
0: (laughs) I'd choose like one room if I was going to go there and just sort of, maybe two, because otherwise it's too overwhelming.
1: Well, I said to my wife, I said, look, next time we go to New York, let's just spend a whole week in The Met. And she (laughs) said,
0: yes. It's good that you both like it.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So much to see. And you you can draw all day. That's what I do. I just go around with a sketchbook and I draw off the Cezannes. I draw off the Manets and the statues and, you know, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Well, talking about your wife, Dana, she's a creative as well. Sure is. Um, Does she give you feedback about your work? Like, would you ask She's the only person
1: I trust, apart from my dealers. But, you know, before it gets to the dealers – She's the gatekeeper. I'll show her something and she'll go, No. <laughs> <laughs> She's brutally
0: honest. And so you'll take that as being. I
1: said, All right, nobody will get to see this one. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to have that.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's good to have someone close to you that can do that and that you trust. You know? Yeah.
1: yeah. Look, she loves me dearly, but when it comes to being an, uh, an art critic, there's no love there.
0: Yes, there are I've, quite a few artists I've spoken to. There, there is that sort of. Well, they're telling you they're being true. That's right, and that's and you, then you, want,
1: can't, you, you can't. You can't. If they love you that much, they're not going to be brutal. And so there's a part of their brain they switch off. With my wife, she switches it off, and then she'll say, "Look, no, that's not. That's that hasn't got it."
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, oh, it's good you have a critic like that. Well. Uh, Robert, it's been an absolute delight to be with you here today in your studio and good luck with your show in New York.
1: Well, thank you very much, Maria. It's been fun.
0: I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Robert Malherb as much as I did. You can find links to things we talked about in the show on the website as well as details of his upcoming New York show. I'll be back in 2022 with more interviews and in the meantime I'll be posting on social media so check out Instagram, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. I'll also be posting a few videos so keep an eye out for those. My most recent video is my conversation with curator Justin Patton about the Matisse show at the Art Gallery of New South Wales and it's also the uh, previous podcast episode. So if you're in Sydney make sure you get there. Also the Geoffrey Smart exhibition in Canberra is a must see as well and there's a little video um, of the curators and the director of the National Gallery of Australia um, on uh, my Instagram page. Thank you for listening and I hope you can join me in 2022 for the next episode of Talking with Painters.
1: You don't go into it to be pat on the back and be told you're an artist or a genius. You go into it to make beautiful paintings And so even if um, you become indestructible, even if like critics will say your work is terrible or or people don't buy your work, it doesn't really matter because the the impulse is to make the work. You just keep going and then one day you're dead or, (laughs) you know, you just have this studio left of beautiful paintings and that's it.